Intentionally Grounded. I am your host, Brian Willie, along with my co-host, John Kesslery. Episode 79 features mental conditioning consultant, Alex Dacus. Alex is a mental conditioning consultant based out of Washington State, a graduate of the University of Ottawa with a master's degree in sports psychology. Alex has worked alongside elite programs, athletes, and executives since 2016. He has served as a mental conditioning and psychoeducational consultant to the University of Oregon, University of Georgia, Seattle Mariners, San Francisco Giants, and numerous other elite organizations. Dacus uses a strength-based approach in allowing his clients to identify and realize their optimal levels of performance, even through times of adversity, and finding neutral through a behavioral-based plan. We're very excited to include Alex Dacus as Season 4, Episode 1 of Intentionally Grounded starts now. We're joined on our show today by Alex Dacus. Uh, Alex, introduce yourself to our audience. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian and John. So, um, I'm, I'm a, what you call a sports psychology consultant. Uh, been in the field since 2016. Uh, currently, I'm based out of the Pacific Northwest. Um, just kind of a, a, brief, a brief overview. I uh, serve with the Moad Consulting Group. Um, some of your listeners might have heard of, of Trevor Mowad, um, kind of of the fame of starting with the Alabama Crimson Tide with uh, Coach Saban through Coach Smart, uh, all, all the way through that coaching tree, um, and probably uh, a more recognizable uh, through, through uh, Russell Wilson. Um, so I've had the honor of, of working with, the, with, with, with Trevor and then also independently um, as a private uh, mental conditioning coach, sports psychology consultant, there's a thousand different names, but uh, you know, simply anything that that deals with with the mind as it relates to performance. Um, you know, and and to be honest, uh, I don't I don't come from a football background. Uh, I've never played a snap in my life, but for whatever reason, I've kind of found myself in this field. So that's kind of a kind of a brief, and we'll we'll dig into here in a bit, but. Uh, just happy to to get on today and you know talk with your with your coaches and, and and your listeners kind of about you know a deeper dive into into mindset and specifically how it relates to to, to peak performance. So Alex, what inspired you uh, to enter into the career of sports psychology and mental performance? Yeah, so it's kind of a you know realistically, uh, it's it's a long story. Um, I'll I'll kind of give you the the, the briefest notes here possible. Um, I would say from a young age, uh, you know, like a lot of people, I was really into sports. And, uh, you know, earlier on, I remember like as a kid, I pretty much learned how to read just you know, in the back of a car, uh, just reading baseball cards. And after a while, and I wasn't really into the stats. I was always like super interested in reading like that, those, those little lines about where they're from, you know, did they have any kind of any unique story? So um, I always, just for whatever reason, like I was never the guy that wore jerseys or was into the stats, but like I just remembered, oh, this guy or, or this girl or whatever, they had this kind of this, this, this background. So, you know, I was always picking up sports biographies, autobiographies, and really loving to, to dig into just these little stories of, of these athletes. And, uh, you know, I, I really put a lot of value into uh, kind of that personal makeup. And I never really thought of it uh, as a career. Um, even at a young age, 
um, you know, I was an athlete myself. Um, you know, I grew up in Alberta, Canada, where it's probably as cold, if not colder than where you guys are right now, Minnesota. But um, I was, I had the chance you know, growing up there. Then I moved to uh, Florida to go to IMG academies and, and play baseball. And at that time, my goal was to, you know, be a professional baseball player or, or uh, get to the major leagues. And I was lucky at that time to have exposure to sports psychology. And this was in the early 2000s. And at that point, it was really in its infancy. And quite honestly, I didn't really see the value of it. You know, like I said, even though I really like liked the uh the real life side of, of of athletes i never really saw the value of it to myself um and when quite and what i mean by value is i never really connected how it can make me a better player so long story short so i went through my own my own playing career went through university started working in sales uh, just working just normal nine 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 to five and i really had this urge um just as I, as I matured and I have a wife who's uh, a, a psychotherapist and just through my own kind of growth, I just really connected to me to see, take my passions in athlete development and really seeing that there was kind of this need of working on the psychology side. Uh, so I never, you know, even when I was an athlete myself, I think that was one of the weirdest things was as an athlete myself, I never saw value in this. And I think, I still think that's a humongous hurdle in this, in this field is when in our post playing careers, we, 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 we come back and say, damn, yeah, I would, I really wish I would have had a sports psych guy to talk to, but during the time it's not even in your focus. Right. So I think the kind of the inspiration for me was to say, Looking back, when I, I can tell you I could have benefited immensely from using someone like myself or, 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 or somebody similar, um, is to really, I don't like you, we use the word stigma, but just to be able to integrate it more effectively alongside um, other professionals like strength coaches, trainers, skills coaches. So that's kind of where my, my, my passion in the field kind of lies. Now, for those who have really no experience with the mental conditioning aspect of, you know, whether it be athletics or performance, how would you explain what mental conditioning is? It's a good question. And I think there's such a range um, in, in kind of the services people provide, uh, which is good. And then also kind of, you know, kind of adds to some, some confusion out there. So speaking broadly from kind of what I do and, you know, what we do at the Moa Consulting Group, you know, what kind of what we've learned from, from, from Trevor, um, loosely, our goal is to work alongside high performance teams. So if, you, if you've never seen, you know, a mental conditioning coach, um, I can tell you right now, it's not the type of thing where I'm going to ask you to go sit, in a, you know, sit down on a, on a couch or a sofa and, 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 you know, tell me about your childhood. There's some people that do that and, you know, that's their choice, but ultimately it's, it's my goal to make you a better athlete. And ultimately it's about getting out of your own way. So identifying thought patterns and more specifically how those thoughts have led to 
behaviors that are taken away from your performance, right? So most often, and I would say, it, from my experience, there's a, there's a big jump from, you know, high school athletes, or let's even go back, let's just say from middle school athletes to high school athletes to college to pro, these individuals have, you know, th there might be the genesis of the same issue, but there's different factors at, at each level. So as a mental conditioning coach, you have to be really varied in your approach about saying, okay, if I have an individual in the NFL who's, you know, struggling with, you know, being a dad for the first time and, you know, dealing with, you know, being away from home and those uncertainties is a lot different than, you know, a high school kid who's wondering, you know, you know as a third string quarterback, like, is it worth his time to stay invested, you know, staying on the program uh, as opposed to doing something else, right? So you kind of have to do a, a whole bunch of different things. Um, but, but broadly speaking, I would say mental conditioning really, really kind of, oh, I don't want to use the word pigeonholes, but really uh, focuses on how as an athlete or even as a coach, which is, this is a very underutilized part of our, of, of the industry is as a coach, how am I how is my mind dictating my behaviors to be optimal, right? So, you know, I, I, I've really enjoyed working with coaches and, you know, if I'm able to be clear, calm and confident when I'm talking to my athletes, right. And I'm not letting some, some things in the past, right. Or some things I might be anxious about in the future. If I'm able to stay present, I'm more likely than not, going to be a more effective communicator, which will then most likely result in increased performance. And I, I know like with you guys, and I know probably most of you know, with, with your, with your listeners is it's all about winning and that's what we love to do. And the last thing that I'll, that I'll kind of say is I think that's where I think mental conditioning and or the sports psychology field kind of sometimes gets a little bit lost is ultimately it all comes down to winning. And I think this is why you can look to, you know, Coach Saban and uh, these highly, highly successful programs is, is they, they try to get, they uh, uncover every little ounce of, of, of winning that they, they, that they can find. And that's why they, they bring on these, you know, these huge amounts of people to help them win. So I know it's kind of a, a long answer, but that's kind of where we kind of fit in. How prevalent is mental conditioning coaches in athletics? So it's really exploded. And now while I say that, from my opinion, it's not even close to where it should be. Um, and so the, the, the real, big, real big issue here, John, is – if a team says, and this is prob this is very common, is to say, all right, we're going to bring someone here on the mental conditioning side, the sports psychology side, the counseling psychology side, what what have you, is it a, just the check the box hire, right? Is is there somebody who's there for the players, 
but really, you know, when the times get tough and, you know, we, we've lost a couple of games, is, is coach taking them out of the room? And I think earlier on, and it's still to this day that 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 happens. And, um, you know, I've, I've been with some programs and teams where the 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 at, the at the highest level, they're saying that, like, we we value sports psychology to the, the to the degree that you are a minimal influence on this team. And at, at some level, it takes the coach to say uh, it takes experience and trust on their end to say, I am comfortable with my players accessing a resource that I might not have access to what they're telling them through access to confidentiality is to say, I trust what Alex or what somebody else might be telling my athlete, because ultimately I trust them that they are competent professionals and that we're aligned on winning. So to really go back to your question, I, I think overall, like let's just use the NCAA and let's just zone in on football, for example. I think these on the, on the human level, there's services available to the players in which they can access just like any student, uh, other student athlete. I would say off the top of my head, there's probably less than a dozen programs. I would even probably not even put it above double digits that are effectively integrating mental conditioning consistently and effectively into, into, their, into their program, right? So look at this from a strength coach perspective, you know, back in the, in the, in the 60s and probably even in the 70s, you know, how many strength coaches were there on the sidelines in the locker room right now it's like there's there's you know just you know for like last year when i was with the university of oregon um i think they had five five or six full-time plus seven interns rotating right so each player has two or three uh right people just dedicated to them mm -hmm. like as they're as they're coming through so i i don't think in my lifetime i don't think sports psychology is going to get to that level where you know, every team has multiple guys, but you're, you're seeing that growth, but the next step is integration. So that, I think that's, that, that's what we're going to see next. So Alex, when you talk about that, so we'll just use Oregon, right? Cause you kind of brought it up a little bit. So you're at a premier division one school. How have you used then mental conditioning to help, you know, the top 1%, right? You know, mm. if you're, if you're a football player at Oregon, Oregon, or, you're a, a coach at Oregon, right? You're probably in the top one to 5% of college athletes and coaches. How have you used mental conditioning to help programs as a whole? And, that, and that's a great question. And, and like I alluded to before is ultimately, you know, let's just say I'm working with a high school athlete or a middle school athlete. Ultimately, you know, I can give you all the mental tricks in the book, but I'm sorry, you just might not have the that, that five tool that five tool uh, skill set. You know, which I'm that's not like I'm not writing that's the the end story. You're gonna have to have a different path. But you know, for Oregon, and you know, broadly speaking, so a lot of my work is is focused with the elite, the the, the top one percent, and. And that's also too with Trevor Moad is, is, you know, we, we spend our time immersed in these elite environments and, and at the, at the broadest level, it comes down to this concept of what we call neutral thinking. So 
broadly speaking, in the in the world of psychology or the world of thinking, we've always been talked to about that there's two types of thinking. We've got negative thinking, which I think we we all know, and especially at a time like now with COVID, is this is negative thinking is is that is the, is, the, is our is our most common eighty percent of the time. That's that's the road we're going down, right? And then we've got positive thinking, and while you know i'm i love positive thinking the people that i'm around love it the, for at this at these elite levels positive thinking is unbelievably intimidating and quite frankly not realistic so that's where we came up with this middle ground called neutral thinking behavior based so in these elite programs is to say what is my behavior that i can do right now outside of external circumstances because the reality is, is when you have five stars playing against five stars, you're not going to win every time. But what you can win is how I control my behavior. So the, the, at that level, what I have found is there's a lot more acceptance with these guys to say, yeah, man, like, I'm going to be real with you. You know, I, I, I don't think being positive is realistic right now. And I know it's really easy to be negative, but let's find this neutral ground being right in the middle of being neutral. And, and, and what we do, um, there's two stories here that I'll, that I'll kind of go over. So the first thing that, 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 that I do, and I, I learned this from Trevor earlier on, is with these programs, so there's one thing that you can do. If you don't believe in sports psychology, you don't believe in its efficacy or whatever is, the best thing you can do is if you have a negative, if you're, think, if you're thinking something negative, just don't, just don't say it out loud. Just keep it to yourself. That alone, by just not speaking that out into existence, is you're not giving it more life than what it is. And then also you're not impacting the person around you who might actually be having a good day, right? So then you're understanding your influence. And also too, when we, when we, whenever we go in there, for these these first sessions is we pull up this clip and I'm sure you can probably put a link into this with your uh, listeners here. Uh, there's an interview with Bill Buckner in the 1980s, uh, late, late 1980s in the World Series. And if, if he's a baseball player now, if your listeners don't know what happened, he, he was in game six of the World Series. And uh, before that game in, in batting practice, so in the pregame warmups, he said the nightmare is going to be if I let the, uh, the game-winning ball uh, score on a ground ball through my legs. You know, fast forward about five, six hours, guess what happens? Mm -hmm. The ball goes through, through Bill Buckner's legs, uh, which ends up costing them the World Series, right? So that's an example of if I speak speak out something in, in, in that negative manner, in that negative way, I'm giving myself, the, the research th shows us that we've done, we've, we've partnered up with uh, Georgetown University uh, and, and other institutions to show us that just by speaking that negativity gives it up to a seven to 10 times more probability of happening. Now let's kind of fast, not really fast forward, but kind of shift gears here and then talk about, about the preparation piece of things, because that kind of goes along with, you know, the preparation mentally that you're referring to there. And so, you know, preparation is so important in, in every avenue of life, and it can breed confidence in people, give them that control and security um, that they are seeking. So 
while that is all good, we also know that we live in a situation and a world that is unpredictable and can change very quickly. So with that in mind, how can the principles of mental conditioning be applied to dynamic situations to help improve their performance? So I think preparation, like I think as you kind of noted, preparation directly leads into our, our confidence, right? So the example that I, that I, that, that I, that I, that I like to use is, as I, you know, you guys being, you know, integrated in the, in the high school world is to say, you know, think about a pop quiz. It's one of the most, like for me, thinking back, like one of the most like, anxiety riddled feelings is if I get a pop quiz, I'm like, damn, man, like I, I'm, I'm not ready for this. And you start to question yourself and you start to like not go through your full abilities, right? You're not firing at all cylinders. Right. As opposed to if you're if you if you're told being like, hey, you've got a test in a week. Here's what to expect. That that then gives me allows me to practice the behaviors of of, of studying and, and reviewing, which will probably give me more confidence. Right. So as you said, preparation breeds confidence. Now I think that 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 that's simple. Now to, to really bring this to a higher level is, is to say, okay, my preparation, you know, I could sit here and this is something very common that I see with, with high school athletes is they love the grind. They love, they love the work they, they're, 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 they're gym rats, but ultimately it's, are we practicing the right behaviors to make us successful? So it, it, it requires, an ability to, to be self-aware. So if my self-awareness is garbage, like if I don't know what makes me good and if I don't know what my weaknesses are, if I don't know what it is that I need to do to get better, and if I'm not preparing with that non-biased mentality, preparation will only get me as far as, as what I'm doing. And I, I really think that we've all seen people who kind of really, I would say, kind of are afraid to a degree of, of being open and accountable by, by saying, I need to get better in this avenue of, of, of my performance because I want to get better, as opposed to saying, I'm going to prepare the way that I know how to do and I'm comfortable that way. So that's what I always do is to say, preparation is only as good as our self-awareness. And I think as a whole, you know, my philosophy is, is really getting athletes and coaches is to really first understand who they are, be themselves, and to really understand what makes them good. And more importantly, what are the things that make them not good? So at that, even that we take, talk about that, that elite level, I think we can all agree that there's these, these, the physical tools most commonly are there. So it's not as much what it is that you do, but it's more about what it is that you don't do to elevate your performance. So I think in this really weird time that we're going through and dealing with so much uncertainties and what the future holds, what it doesn't hold, is to understand that I can control my behavior and I can control what I know will make me more effective as an athlete, as a person, as a student, as a coach, as a husband, whatever. And I'm going to commit to that.
but by always being self-aware and understanding that I can always get better. Many of our listeners are coaches who work with student athletes from, you know, all sorts of walks of life and, and some of which are students with a history of mental health illnesses. Um, is mental conditioning something that can help improve a student athlete's mental health? And if so, how do you guys approach that? I think it's, I think overall, my, so my short answer is yes. However, you, you, there's, there's, you, you kind of have to tiptoe that carefully. And, you know, let, let's just look at it from, from like, okay, here we are. I'm in a high school. Let's say I'm at a high school in Minnesota. Um, you know, if I'm a high school coach, you got to trust your heart and to say, okay, I'm doing everything that I can to help this, this, this individual. But if you feel like there's so many, you know, most commonly, this is, there, there could be stuff going on, on at home and they might not be getting the support. That they're, that they're needed, that, that, that they need, then I think from a coaching perspective, the best thing that a, that a good coach would do is have a solid support network around them where they can refer. And I, I feel like when I talk to coaches, especially earlier on in my career, I would always ask them to say, you know, if you had a player that had a, let's just say their shoulder was hurt, okay? They could name off, they could go through their phone, and probably go through, I know this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, or this, but whatever, the whole list. But if I said, if you had a person that was dealing with, you know, let's just say divorced parents at their home or, you know, substance use at, 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 you know, at home or whatever, they would say, I don't know, man, that's, that, that's maybe they can talk to the, the, the guidance counselor and they kind of absolve themselves out of responsibility. So I think the first step is empowering yourself as a coach is to say, you know, I'm not going to put up with this um, and I, I'm going to find you some help. And, you know, I, a really good example of this, and I forget his name, is if you watch the, I, I really liked the, the, the series Last Chance You. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but in the last yeah. season, the coach, his wife was a therapist and he kind of looked at his players really uniquely through the lens of saying, okay, as a coach, I can only really help you really, okay, let's go the X's and O's. I'm going to kind of stay in that lane. I'm going to support you as an individual, but he conveniently had a wife who was a therapist and said, you just go talk to my wife and, you know, just do what you have to do. And I think, so that's an example. Now, I don't think, you know, it's kind of, for me, there's some blurred boundaries there, but I think the thought was right is to say as a coach, he recognized that like, okay, I can do so much here, but I can empower myself as a coach, as a leader to point you in the right direction. Cause I care about you as, as not only as an athlete to this team, but as a human. So I think the goal here is to say to a coach is you don't need to be a, a trained therapist, but you can be a good listener, care about people and point them in the right direction. Now, kind of going off of that, if we have different players on our team with maybe different ability levels, both physically and mentally, and as a leader, we're trying to improve the mental conditioning techniques of all these different ability levels, what would be some of the ways in which we can reach these different people of different various mental or physical abilities within our team? So I think commonly, the number one thing that, you, that I hear from coaches is focus. And I kind of think that's BS. 
we focus to the degree that we want to. Um, I don't spend a lot of my time on focus motivation. I think most, especially, especially at the, at the elite level, when you see the, the amount of zeros that are at the end of the paycheck or what could be at, the, at, at that next contract, motivation really isn't, isn't kind of uh, a technique or, or, or a way to, to integrate this. For me, it really comes down to, we did this a lot of Oregon and I really liked it. it was what we call guided imagery or visualization. Now to uh, some of your listeners, they might have had some experience with, with, with that. Um, essentially what it comes down to, and this is really important. This is what I'm working with a lot of my athletes right now who've been, you know, even at the elite level, they haven't been able to play their sport for, you know, almost a year or, or you know, coming up over a year. Right. So we talk about getting reps. So if I can't get a live rep in what guided imagery or guided visualization does essentially is it imprints repetitions in our mind. Of, of us going through these experiences. And what the research has shown us is that if we really integrate the five senses, right? So I, I often get these ones jumbled up, right? My, my smell, how I hear, see, taste, uh, and so I see, so I always get four. What, maybe you guys can help me on the other one Touch. there that I missed. Which one did I miss? Touch, feel. Touch, yeah, there we go. So if, if we integrate, if we integrate all of these, right, as we're, as we're, as we're running through these mental reps in, in our, in our mind, there's research showing back to, and I know that I was really interested because the pre-Soviets did, and the Soviets did this with their weightlifters, uh, because, you know, quite honestly, you can't be going at max reps all the time, that they would have them visualizing them getting PRs and, and hitting new, uh, new uh, personal records in, 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 their, in their reps at the gym, just by going through these super deep, use, uh, you know, essentially dreams, going through in their head, using all those five senses. So, right, so really feeling what the barbell feels like, you know, feeling that knurling in, in, in your hands and like smelling the chalk, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're getting, on, getting on your hands, right? Um, hearing like those weights clang and, right? Seeing that, 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 that bar like lift over your kneecaps, right? And really shrugging, really feeling it, getting these real deep images of you being successful. What's the cool part about this is, is there's, there's, there's evidence that points to our body doesn't really know the difference. So, and this is where I know Russell Wilson is probably the biggest proponent of visualization ever, right? He, he sits down and he goes through every stadium. Where's, uh, wh where's the play clock, right? Cause he's done this like, in his head a thousand times. So it's like, I've already done it. They, they don't, they don't like, they get into these situations and they're so seasoned. So on paper, it might say, well, I played, you know, eight games. Well, in my mind, I played 87. So I think essentially visualization is like, our end goal. That is like when we, if we can get to that point where I can run effective imagery in my mind of getting reps in, I am going to make myself a better athlete. Now I will preface this by saying I can only have effective Im Im uh, imagery if my self-awareness is good. So going back to what I said, you know, earlier is say, do I know what makes me good? Do I know what the, my hurdles are? And also to, 
am I limiting the negativity, right? So if I do all these good visualizations, but if I'm always trash talking myself, right? By saying like, you know, I, I'm garbage. I'm going to throw another pick today. Well, I can run all of those images in my head, but when I hit the field, I'm still running that dialogue, right? So it really comes down to our first step, limiting our negativity. And then with that said, it's also having really solid self-awareness, which can allow us to really develop that, that, that skill of guided imagery and visualization. No, I, as we kind of get toward the end here, hmm. Alex, I think I know the answer to this last one, but I, but I, our listeners, I want to make sure that you really hammer this home because I think this is going to be really good. But what is one mental conditioning technique or strategy um, that our coaches listening to this right now could take and apply with their programs right away? Yeah, so I, I would go back to what I, was, what I was just saying there is I would start, you know, I, I, like, I like doing things simple. So I would say starting at 30 seconds a day. All you got to keep it to is 30 seconds a day. It's just been 30 seconds thinking about a situation. You know, if, let's just say it's a coach. I'm going to use a, use a coach first is how can I think about a situation in the past that might've kind of tripped you up or you wish you could have redone play that in your, in your mind in, 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 the, in, those, in those 30 seconds about how you would have redone it right? Very vividly going back to those five senses. And something that, that I, that I want to mention to you about coaches um, is, is when I go back to what I talked about earlier about being negative, sorry, uh, negative, positive, neutral is something that I think you can implement right now. And I did some digging into, there's a study done in the, in the seventies uh, on John Wooden. They brought two social, uh, social psychologists in, into UCLA for a season and they watched him during practices and all of the day they didn't they didn't look at his x's and o's they didn't look at what he was doing as far as strategy or technique they just focused in on, on what he was talking the, the 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 message to his players the words they were great at okay was it a positive statement was it berating negative right like getting on a guy or was it neutral was it fact-based behavior-based 80 percent of what he said was in the middle right that behavior fact base, right? We're going to have a water break at 1030. Then we're going to do this. You know, Brian, go under the key, right? Wasn't charged in any positive or, or negative manner, right? Like John Wooden didn't praise his players for the sake of praising their players. He didn't berate the players for the sake of berating it because it was a thing to do. He's very, very neutral. So I think as a coach, I think you can, you can use the visualization piece. You can also take inventory of saying, what percentage of my communication is behavior-based neutral? And as a, as a player, I think, I'm obviously gonna go to the visualization too. It's, just, it's, it's the same message is to say like, what, you know, how can I put myself and get these reps right now, knowing that we might get shut down again, we might be currently shut down, right and really dive in, in, into, into that imagery and i also think too it's like you know if you start at 30 seconds amp it up right and then you can get to 45 to a minute next thing you know you're you're, you're you know once a game's done you, you've, you've developed that habit 
And ultimately the best athletes are, 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 you know, they're formed by their habits, right? So if we can form these effective habits that will definitely optimize our performance. Now I'm going to ask one final question here and it might be a loaded question. And I know it's probably a question that many of our coaches and listeners are wrestling with here today. Um, it's on the self-awareness issue. We have many students and athletes who, and parents, I would even throw this in there, and coaches as well, that have very good intentions of a very shared goal, shared success for all parties involved. However, the method by which they are going to get there and the ability of which people can use to execute that are very different from belief and reality. So my question for you is this, is there any techniques or tips that you would give from either a mental conditioning standpoint or just from an experience standpoint that we can use to help make our players, parents, and coaches more self-aware? So it's not, I wish it was a cookie cutter answer to say, be self-aware, do it. But it ultimately comes down to, and I know Google, if you look into the, like uh, one of the companies, uh, they've done a really good job of what you call psychological safety. Now, I'm realistic and just saying like, okay, that's pretty soft, right? Uh, but from a coaching standpoint is to say, if I want my guys to, to become self-aware as, as, as a coach, as a parent, as an educator, I really need to have my players or, my, or whoever really trust that I have their back uh, authentically is to say that, okay, I can go to coach and, you know, I can really be, con he, he's consistent in, in how he behaves and like, I feel comfortable, right? So, so often, even myself, like I wasn't self-aware until later in, you know, especially as an athlete, I was, I really struggled in it because I felt that I was defined to so my identity. My identity was defined about, was defined on how my coach viewed me. And my coach wasn't, you know, I never had coaches growing up that were, I would say, psychologically stable. Now, I don't mean that they were bad people. I just, they were unpredictable. So that made, how could I be self-aware if the people around me you know, don't give me the tools to. So to answer your question, if, if I want to grow self-awareness is in, in the ones around me, I need to be as a leader. It takes, it takes a lot of courage to, and it takes time is, 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 is for your players to, 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 to really trust you and to say that this guy has my back and he's here, you know, not, you know, I'm not, he's not defining me by my performance but he's defining me by my behaviors and my commitment to the effort to execute the plan and the process um, as, as a team. Now, Trevor, uh, now Alex, if, if people want to find more work about Trevor, you know, yep. and what he's doing and what you're doing with your organization, where can they find some more resources about your guys' work? Yeah. So I, you know, I openly, I keep a really low profile on, on uh, social media and I do that. I do that as a benefit to my athletes and, and my teams. I, um, so your, your best bet is, uh, is to go to, uh, follow Trevor, uh, Trevor Moa on Instagram. And, uh, there's tons of videos 
I would I would recommend there's on YouTube we've got a whole series that we released with Russell Wilson. Uh, we've got more stuff in the pipeline, and we also just haven't had a book come out, or Trevor did, uh, called "It Takes What It Takes." Uh, the foreword was written by by Russ. I recommend it to all coaches. Uh, there's just tons of great takeaways on there. Great stories, you know, starting from you know times working with 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 tennis players like or coaches like Nick Bolateri, you know, through Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, uh, to guys like Russell Wilson, and to even some like lesser known like guys like Fred Taylor, who was in Jacksonville, and just tons of great stories and great takeaways about how to optimize the mind and to ultimately become a, a you know a, a more consistent, better performer.